Welcome everyone, I'm Lauren Hawkins. Thanks for tuning in with us to Spirituality Adventures. We are so glad you're here and we're very excited about the content we get to share with you through our blogs and podcasts. Spirituality Adventures is made possible by your support. One way you can support us is by liking, following, subscribing, or sharing any of these podcasts or blogs that you like. Another way you can support us is by going to our website, www.spiritualityadventures.com. There you can click the support tab and you can sign up for a monthly subscription or a one-time gift. We appreciate all your support. Now here's Fred. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality. And we're talking about creativity and spirituality right now. And today we are blessed to have one of my friends, Darren Daller, here with us today. Many of you may not know Darren, but that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> we're going to get to know Darren and hear some of his story. And I think you'll really enjoy uh, his career. It, it was fascinating to me, Darren, when we first met to uh, begin to hear part of your story. And I think, and my memory can be a little faulty sometimes, but I think I met your wife first mm -hmm. at Vineyard Church and she started coming, I think on a Saturday or Sunday night service. And then she kept telling me about this uh, husband of hers that was out traveling around, <laughs> singing all over the place. And I, it was a long time, I think, before I actually met you. And I can't remember when, do you remember what year that would be that maybe she started attending mm. Vineyard? I'm oh, trying to think, has it been 10 years? Yeah, I think it has. I think we, we uh, came to Kansas City and started attending Vineyard in like, it was either 2009, 2010. Okay. Somewhere I was thinking there. it was yeah. close to 10 years. So anyway, I was so, uh, it was so fun to meet you and kind of just hear some of your story and adventures and all that kind of stuff and truly was fascinated with your career. So why don't you start by just giving us a brief uh, intro in terms of your, you know, where you grew up and how you started getting into music. Oh, boy, yeah. Like go back and start at the beginning kind of thing. Hmm. Well, though I'm known as a beach guy, I was actually born in Indianapolis and uh, lived in Indianapolis for first 10 years of my life, maybe 11, 10, 11. My memory's not that great anymore. Dates are uh, coming into each other, but um, moved to Florida when I was about 11, I think it was 11 years old. So I moved to Daytona beach, Florida. Okay. Um, did my, you know, middle school and high school in Daytona Beach. And uh, music has always been in my family because uh, my mother and father were both singers. Uh, some of my cousins are singers. You know, some of them is Johnny Cash, June Carter, uh, William Lee Golden of the Oak Ridge Boys. You know, there is are. Did you say family members? Yeah, they're cousins. Cousins. Yeah. I've, I've actually never met them. I've spoken wow. to, I think, June one time a long time ago and Roseanne, wow. their daughter, one time. William Lee Golden, I know him from the Oak Ridge Boys. Amazing. One side of my family, you, you just Golden's. won my dad's heart over. If you, oh, really? You know somebody in the Oak Ridge Boys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Relate, related though. William Lee is the guy with the long beard. You know, uh, the long straight gray beard. <laughs> so there's a lot of music in the family. Pretty much everybody plays something, does something, yeah. and um, everybody sings. And it seems like, you know family reunions where a lot of people singing. Awesome. So when I was in Florida, I uh, uh, to be to be honest, I didn't want to pursue music. Uh, even though that was my natural inclination, I started playing a guitar at like 10. I didn't, I saw, you know, one side of the family was very successful. And anybody who knows a lot of musicians knows that for the majority of musicians out there, it's a very tough life. It's, uh, 
hardly making any money, no insurance, hard to raise your kids if you're just playing music. Mm -hmm. So I actually didn't want to uh, play music as a kid, you know, because I was raised by a single mom, a wonderful lady. Uh, You know, we didn't have a lot of money. So my way out of that lifestyle was college. So going to school, I was an athlete. I was a football player, basketball player, all that stuff up until high school. Um, serious runner, real serious runner. I, I think I still hold the uh, the eighth grade, either second place or first place record for the 100-yard dash in Florida. I believe I do. Um, and uh, so I was going to be an athlete, but I knew nothing about nutrition. And you being an athlete, I know you understand this. So since I knew nothing about nutrition, I was just trashing my body without putting the nutrients into it that I needed to mm. growing up to make it as strong as it should be. So I started getting injured. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then I discovered, uh, I, and I was playing music all during this time, you know, in the, in, in high school, I was playing guitar and singing, I had a little band. I played at pool decks. I played on the beach, you know, and, and I was making money, which I made more money doing that than carrying towels in hotels. So I did that. Yeah. And, uh, but I discovered, um, I just doing like cover songs then just, yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I was writing songs since the very beginning though. Okay. Uh, I, I think as soon as I learned to play the guitar, I started writing songs, you know, I was copying other people's songs and trying to learn the formats mm-hmm. and recordings and things like Who that. Who were your favorite bands in this era? you like your high school era. Wow. That's a tough one. <laughs> well, my favorite artists since birth, cause I love, I love blues, but yet I also like country pop and rock. So my favorite artist was Elvis Presley. Yeah, and wow. I saw him when I was eight years old. That was my first concert. Wow, at his height, so it was pretty incredible to see ladies passing out. I mean, yeah. literally passing was that out. In Florida? Yeah, that was actually in Indiana. Indiana. I was only okay. eight at that time. Okay, and then I grew up listening to blues, and I would go see blues bands. And uh, at a very young age, I was sneaking out to go sit and watch bands and watch guitar players and singers. Mm-hmm. And um, did you have a couple of favorite blues bands? I did. Well, there was this one blues band uh, that played in Florida that was just incredible. It was just a bunch of guys that I I had gotten to know through connections with other people. They were called the uh, the, uh, Rudy Tootie Band. Okay. They're just a local blues band, but they were so incredible. Still some of the best musicians I've ever seen to this. All those same guys are still playing all these years later in Daytona. Interesting. And uh, so I would watch them. I loved B.B. King, Eric Clapton. Uh, but I also loved a Southern influence sound, too. So I loved, of course, Leonard Skinnerd. You know, being that I've been in the music business for so long, it's so funny because I've, I've actually performed with a lot of the people I grew up loving and listening to. And then I've got friends now who are in band. I've got friends in Leonard Skinnerd. I've got friends in 38 Special. Wow. And uh, so I have all these interesting musical connections to all of the bands right. I listen to. Kit, my, fr- my friend of mine's a drummer of Kiss. And um, huh. so, and that was That's another awesome. great band I loved back then. And, uh, but yeah, so yeah. I, I loved the blues and, uh, yeah, um, Gary Gary Moore. Growing up, when I'd listen to him play, Roy Buchanan, blues guitar player, just oh, just I'd sit back for hours and listen to them and just be in awe of their talent. <laughs> awesome, good. Yeah. So then you you were playing, doing cover bands. You're wishing you were an athlete, but you kind of start getting injured. So then what what happened after that? Well, I um, it, it's kind of a weird story. Where'd you so, go to college, by the way? Well, I I started at DBCC uh, right out of high school. Actually, it was in. I did my senior year in the college program at DBCC okay. because I I was I was already out on my own at like fifteen, sixteen years old, so I couldn't work my two jobs and go to regular high school. So I, I had two jobs and play and played guitar at night. 
So uh, I started going to DBCC in the adult high school at night and I started my college program early and I went into pre-law. And within three or four months, I can't remember what it was, something happened where somebody said, do you want to come play music? And at this point, I wasn't in the same sports I was in before. I had started into, into martial arts uh, during my middle school years. And I got I became so fond of that that I, I gave up the running football, baseball, basketball, and I started doing that. Okay. And then I, my goal at that point was I wanted to be a professional fighter. Hmm. And I trained for a couple of years. And I went to the same with the same school, same teacher as Don the Dragon Wilson, who was the six-time world champion. You know, he, I know Don. He's a very nice guy. Wow. Thank, thank goodness. You wouldn't want him not to be nice. And uh, it was with an injury, a leg injury, where I was finally laid up in my. I couldn't walk very well. I'd torn my hamstring, and my mother came into me and said, "I think I was in tenth grade or something." And she said, "You're going to enter your 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 high school talent contest." I said, no, I'm not, because I had no desire to do anything like that. She goes, you are, uh, because you're laying around doing nothing. You can't do your sports. You play this guitar every day. I want you to enter that contest. It'll give you something to do. And I, I was really skeptical. I was like, mom, it, you can't even win it unless you're a senior. I'm a sophomore. She goes, you're going to do it. And she was really serious about it. So I learned about my mother. She never made me do much. But when she had her mindset, I, I went along with it. So I entered the high school talent contest. No, I was this semi-known, somewhat known, somewhat unknown guy in high school. And all of a sudden I did this high school talent contest and I won the contest. And I'm still, I think to date, I'm still the only sophomore that's ever won the Mr. Seabreeze contest. Okay. Well, overnight I became like this popular guy in school that I wasn't before because I played music. And I just thought that was amazing. I was like, wow, how did that happen overnight? I had people walking up saying hi to me the next day I hadn't spoken to the whole time I've been at school. Hmm. And I was like, well, I, maybe I'm kind of good at this. I don't know. And uh, I, I, you know, I found that I had a love for it. You know, it was the only thing I ever, I mean, even sports was my way out of being poor, kind of. I wanted to go to, I always wanted to be a Gator. I wanted to be a floor Gator and play football for the Gators. And, you know, then things took a different course. Yeah. And uh, so I was uh, reeling from winning this, this talent contest. And then all of a sudden other opportunities because of that contest opened up for me. And I was like, well, this is really strange how all this is happening and doors are just flying open. And I had the theater director of the school come to me and say, and I had no desire to be in a play. I was, I was a jock. And the, the lady comes to me and goes, would you like to be in our, our musical? And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't really want to do that. It's not my thing. I've never taken dance or anything. And she goes, well, that's okay. We'll teach you. And, and it's funny because I said no to her initially, but she says, look, um, I'll make you a deal. If you join our, our jazz group in the school, cause we need some, we need some athletes in there because we need, we need, we're trying to make it a little cooler mm -hmm. to put it straight. And I said, well, she goes, I'll make you a deal. We have really good equipment. I know you play music on the weekends. I've got all this equipment, PA equipment, microphones. You can have use of all of it for your gigs. And I'll give you a free period each day and give you an A for that period and give you an A for all the music courses if you'll just be in the theater program. And I was like, well, I can't say no to that. So then I went into the theater program and I found out that I loved it. I was having a blast. I did my first play, which I had no desire to do. And I realized doing that, I said, wow, how did I not know how awesome this is hmm. and how awesome being around all these creative people was? And I just, I fell in love with it. Awesome. So... Post-college, you you moved up to New York from Florida. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And then and that kind of, you started trying to intentionally move into 
the performance world? Was yeah. that theater? Was that music? Bands? What? It was both. Okay. I went up there with a buddy and we were, we decided to start a band in New York, uh, which we did the tri-state area. You know, they call it up there. And so we were playing all over the place, you know, I mean, for peanuts, but we were playing. And then I was taking acting lessons and, um, and doing theater. I started doing professional theater when I got there and found out that I just loved it. I loved the whole creative process of it. I was never willing to give get rid of my guitar and the rock and roll or the blues, but I wasn't willing to give up the theater either. And so I started doing uh, dinner theater. I guess it's called professional theater, but it's lower level professional theater. You're, you're making $7 a night. I'm not kidding. It's like $7 a performance or something like that. But you're not doing it for the money. You're doing it to learn. Mm-hmm. So with all those experiences and studying with the people that I did and... Um, took an interesting turn. I couldn't afford to go to an acting school in New York because they were really expensive. They were for the rich kids, let's be honest. But what I did find was that almost all the great acting teachers gave seminars, either weekends, one day, three day, two day, they would give seminars to get you interested in going to the school. All of them did this. Okay. So between private acting lessons and then going to these, I'm, I'm talking like the big time coaches, I'm going to these incredible acting seminars, I found out something else. And I've been teaching acting now since I was, you know, 21 years old, because it was one of my ways of staying alive when I was, you know, make, trying to make it. And uh, I found out they, they give you about 50 to 70% of what they know in that seminar. <laughs> they really do. They teach you all the nuts and bolts in the seminar to hook you to get you to then enlist in their school for a long period. Right. And then they'll take that other 30% and they'll drag that out over a couple of years. Sorry. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so I, I went, well, I can just go to these seminars. I can do my acting class that I'm doing. I can go to these seminars on the weekends and I can learn everything that all these guys that are paying, you know, $1,000 a month are, are learning. Mm-hmm. And it not only ended up being a good thing, it ended up being a great thing because- I have found, you know, I've been doing this for so long now that I learned so much from each of those teachers in their weekend seminars and then the acting courses that I could take that it allowed me to build my own practice and to formulate my own toolbox for actors. Mm-hmm. So I started teaching acting. Wow. And uh, years later, when I moved back to Florida, an opportunity opened with Universal Studios. They said, we need somebody to teach these actors. Will you do it? Because we have these shows coming in. We got all these Disney kids, but we've got no actors that have been on a TV set. Hmm. So it was one of those deals where they said, we'll fill your class if you'll just teach these actors. And I said, we'll fill my class. That's awesome. <laughs> cool. So in New York, you had a couple of opportunities to get into what, a Broadway show. Um, did, were there, did you make most of your, your bigger connections on the West Coast? Or did you have a couple of key connections there in New York before you moved West? Well, I... Uh, I had such a yo-yo story with me. I, I, I moved back from New York, went back to Florida for a while. Then I went back to New York. Then some musical opportunities opened up. And while I was in New York trying to land shows and things like that, ironically, I went back to Florida for a musical opportunity for a job. And while I was in Florida, I got a call about an audition for a Broadway show. So I didn't land a Broadway show when I lived in New York. I had to move back to Florida to actually get the opportunity to be in a Broadway show. So I, I actually flew to Nashville. They were, they were um, casting nationwide for a show. And so I originally flew to Nashville for the initial audition for this Broadway show that I was in for, I was in for years and uh, auditioned there, went back home to Florida, heard nothing about it. I said, ah, oh, she didn't work out. I, I didn't get the job and then got a call about 
I don't know, two months later. And they said, hey, we're getting back in touch. We've now finished the, the rounds and we'd like to bring you up to New York to, to audition again for this show. Well, you know, at that point in my life, it was like somebody's going to fly me to New York and let me audition for something. I felt like, wow, that's big time. I'm mm -hmm. usually having to drive my car 20 hours to get somewhere. So they uh, flew me to New York. And um, it's an interesting show because the show was about Elvis Presley. Awesome. And I was like, well, I'm kind of a shoe in for this because I've been following this guy my whole life. Mm. And, you know, how we talk spirituality and things like that. You know, it's funny how, how things have worked for me because when I was a kid, I never danced. That was not something. I mean, I danced when I danced with friends, but I never mm -hmm. took professional dance lessons. Mm -hmm. So I thought that when I got to New York, I would be left out in the cold. They'd get me into the dance room. and be, But you know what? What it ended up happening was, and this is why I always say, I always tell my daughter, I said, never worry about the little pieces of your journey because those little pieces are a sum of your whole journey at the end. And little things will help you along the way that you'd never expect. Mm -hmm. So it ends up because of the martial arts years that when I got up there and they started throwing these dance moves at me, it was, it was cake. Mm. It was, I was a natural. You know, I already, I already could do the splits. I could already, you know, I already had rhythm because I've been in music my whole life. So it ended up that I got through the, got through the dance audition. Okay. And then you had to go into the acting audition, then the singing audition, and then all these other different phases of a Broadway show. There's so many millions of dollars in a Broadway show. They pick their talent very carefully. Mm. So then I went back to Florida after the audition and, and again thought, eh, I didn't hear from anybody. Nothing happened. So they gave me a call later, uh, another month or two and said, Hey, we want you in the show. So I had to go to New York twice and then move back to Florida to get into a Broadway show. Wow. What was the name of it? It was called Elvis and American musical. Okay. It, it was a really good show. It was a big production. It was and written by the guy who wrote Beatlemania. Oh, nice. And it, it opened on Broadway mm -hmm. in New York, and then it ended up touring as well? Yeah, it toured. Uh, we didn't stay in New York very long. Uh, we found that the Elvis crowd and the Broadway crowd was a very strange mixture. It was, uh, it was in a mixture that did well. It was a two different mm -hmm. demographics of people coming in for a show. And although the, the show did well while it was in New York, it didn't stay in New York that long. But then we, then we started touring, and we toured for two solid years. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Almost nonstop. Wow. That's fun. So, um, you move out West after, after this Broadway experience, right? Mm -hmm. And you're, were you thinking still both music and theater, film, acting? Were you thinking both of those when you moved West? Going West, I had my sights set on, uh, film and TV. Okay. I had done the theater thing and I, even though I really enjoyed it, I developed a, um, an early love for uh, film and television acting. It's a different technique. A lot of actors said, no, acting's acting. It's not. It's a whole different animal. And uh, since I was a little kid, uh, I've always been fascinated by movies. I, I never thought that I would make movies. I always thought I would just want to act in them. Um, so uh, when I went out West, it was a combination of wanting to get my music heard, you know, because I was a blues rock and roll artist to um, also getting into film and TV. Because to me, they kind of go together. They always have kind of mm -hmm. gone to go, you know, together. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I went out west and I started uh, working. Uh, I, I first worked in a casino 
out west. I didn't hit LA right away. I went to Reno, Nevada first in okay. Vegas. And I got an offer to sing and dance in a show there. A pretty large casino show. One of those created for the casino, like adult entertainment shows, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, and it was really a great show. Beautiful, just beautiful costumes and sets and music. And uh, it was a great experience. It was, it was actually, to be honest, that show was as much of an experience as the Broadway show. Uh, in some respects, the production was even better, hmm. which was amazing to me. Yeah. I've been amazed at yeah, some of the productions even, not even, you know, some there, but also like on cruise ships and stuff. So oh, yeah. It's anyway. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Great, great equipment on cruise ships too. Yeah. Um, so, so you, but you, did you break into TV right away or was it the, was it the, the music side that kind of opened up for you? It, it was the music side. Okay. I, uh, while singing in that show with my plans of going to LA, I knew how expensive LA was. I'd already done New York. I knew what, you know, struggling was like. So I was singing at the casino. And I needed a vehicle to get me to Los Angeles so I could start doing this TV and film stuff. And a group called The Letterman came through town, which is as far from any style I've ever done. You know, they're a very, very straight 1960s harmony group. You right. know? And so uh, our young people listening. <laughs> yeah. Those younger than us. Much. Darren, right. Yeah. You're younger than us. 35ers. Anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, you know, they, they won't know who The Letterman are. They, probably, they won't know who some of the other bands are, but I'm guessing they've still probably heard of some of the songs. They probably yeah, have. Just by yeah. growing up in America. Like, what are what were the what were some of the big Letterman hits? Uh, they had a big hit with Going Out of My Head, Theme from a Summer Place, um, The Way You Look Tonight. Yeah, it's the one. You, you, you do a tune from Going Out of My Head. Going out of my head over there you. you. That's one. I'm sure young people have What's heard What's another that? one they would know? They would know... Um, they also had, uh, they had, they were an interesting group. Isn't there one about a postcard or something? I can't, am I thinking of the wrong band? Anyway, a love letter or something? Well, there was, yes, there was. I can't remember, this funny, oh, I can't remember the name of that song. Oh, I forgot it. But yes, there was. Right. But they had hits of, uh, they, the Letterman never had an original hit. But they had many, they had uh, close to 15, 18 hits, I think. But they were all remakes, harmony remakes of popular songs. All right. Like, um, one of them was, um, their their real big one was uh someday when i'm awfully low that was one of their big That's hits a good one, yeah and uh theme from a summer place they put lyrics to a, a big movie instrumental song and had a big hit with it nice yeah. um uh, what's the other one I did in Japan? We went to Japan. Mr. Lonely was one of their songs. So yes, you younger people out right. there, you won't realize these guys, uh, they're, they're much, much older than me. And I was in the group for a long time, but it was a great experience. And they're absolute entertainment icons. Didn't they just recently get uh, a Hollywood star? Like, was it last year or the year before? Something? Last summer, yeah. Last summer? Yeah. That was, that was an amazing experience. Were you there? Yeah. Awesome. I have one. Oh, nice. Yeah, I have one on the wall of my studio. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, when I got the call for that, you know, being in Hollywood for so many years, yeah. everybody wants to see their name on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. <laughs> I don't care who you are. If you say no, you're lying. And so when they called me and said, uh, well, we have some good news for you today. I said, what is that? And they said, the Letterman are getting uh, a star on the Walk of Fame. I said, where? And they said, right across the street from Capitol Records. It's an unbelievable spot where their star is. I, I could not believe it when I saw it. 
And I didn't say a word. I, I, at first I was like, well, it's nice of them to let me know this, you know, because I wasn't in the group anymore. But they said, because you were in the group so long and on so many albums with the Letterman, you're going to be part of the ceremony. Oh, fun. So I was like, this is incredible. That's awesome. So yeah, I, w I was uh, overjoyed. It's not the phrase I'm looking for, but when they told me that I, I put down the phone and I said, told my wife, I said, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> You married a star. <laughs> right. She's like, well, it's about time. <laughs> so, um, so the Letterman was it, what, who, and then I think after the Letterman or was it simultaneously that you got connected? Well, I left the Letterman in 2005. I did 10 years with them. Okay. And then I went back to LA to, uh, I wanted to, at that point I said, you know, I've got to do this acting thing. I have not done this yet. I want to be in a series. I want to be in some films. So I went, I've literally just gave it up, went back to LA and I started acting full time. I had an agent, I had all the pieces in place and I started working. I used little parts to start, you know, little thing here, little thing here, one liner here, walk on here, just like everybody does, except for very few lucky ones. And, um, it's a, well, I don't know if you remember this, but, uh, what year would that be? Uh, 95, 05, probably 07, somewhere around there, I think. I had just been on a show called The Unit, a police show. And I had just been offered a, a recurring role on the show. I did one episode. Uh, Dennis, uh, Hayward, Hayward, the big, the big tall guy with the deep voice, Saul state. Okay. I, I said goodbye to him after my, my, I thought it was a day player role. And I said, look, I've had a great time today. Nicest cast and crew I've ever met. Hmm. I said, I would love to work with you guys every day, but thank you for having me. He goes, well, I think you might be. I said, what does that mean? <laughs> he said, the producers are talking about you right now. I was an MI, uh, MI6 agent. And they said, they like your look. They like what you did. They're going to be calling you. And again, I was just like, I was elated, but I said, I'm not going to count on this because Hollywood's full of promises. It mm -hmm. really is. And uh, a few weeks later, I got that call and it was the producers of the unit. And they, this is what they said. They said, look, we'd like you for a recurring, recurring role in the show. Uh, we loved what you did, uh, whatever day that was. Um, so yeah, you have to come in and re-audition, but just so you know, you pretty much have the role as long as you can come in and audition with what you did the other day. We, we just got to make sure you can carry the lead. Uh, it's a supporting actor role in a television series is a really big deal. And so I said, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. So uh, I think the audition was coming up Saturday, Saturday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, they announced the, the Hollywood writer's strike. Oh, so overnight. It was just gone. Oh, wow. So all those years of working toward getting that, and it was just gone. And this writer's strike lasted months and months and months. So by the time they all came back, everybody had already shuffled to new jobs and it was new producers, new casting people. So the opportunity was gone. Wow. But as, as luck would have it, <laughs> I was on another show, and I'm trying to think, was that Criminal Minds? I think it was Criminal Minds. And um, I remember saying to Diane, ooh, I probably shouldn't have given up the Letterman gig now because if I was still doing music, we'd be sick. Because we were, at that point, I was nervous. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Because gigs like the Letterman, it, getting one of those replacement singer jobs in a big hit band, it almost never happens. So many people want those jobs that if it's not luck or, or God's mm -hmm. sometimes saying, you know what, I'm giving you a break here. You're not going to get it. Mm. Thousands of people want those jobs. Mm. So I was on Criminal Minds. I was getting ready to do I a take. To, I used to watch that show. I love that time. show. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, Joe Montana. He's the greatest. Yeah. Who was the other one? Uh, pick uh, Pink. 
Mandy. Mandy. Mandy yeah, was on Mandy. there. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Was Mandy there? The day? I don't think I, I which was. One, I can't remember which one was first. I think, I think Mandy was first. Mandy was then, first. Yeah. yeah. And I never met him on the show, but Joe was yeah. great. What a nice right. guy. Yeah. I love the chemistry of that team. It was so yeah. much fun. Penelope. And, uh, and you know, it's almost that way as the, the people are almost girl's that name? way too. I think so. Yeah. 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 Anyway. But it was a great cast and a great show, and and they were they were so much fun off off camera, just like they were on camera. It was cool. it was awesome, awesome experience. Cool. And my phone rang on the set, which is a no no. I forgot I had my ringer on, and they had just called action. And that, that's a thousand dollar mistake every time it happens because cameras are rolling. You've got a crew of thirty people, cast of twenty. We're charging into this building, and all of a sudden, dee do dee do dee do, and everybody's stuck. Cut cut cut, and they're looking around, and I had to raise my hand and say, "It was me." And so I had no idea who was calling. So I looked at my phone and the phone said Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers. Oh, okay. It had, his, it had his name on his thing. So I was like, I said, I'm really, really sorry. Uh, I said, but I just got a call from, uh, I've been waiting on this call from Bill Medley, the Righteous Brothers. I was fibbing. I was trying to get out of trouble. And they said, the, the director goes, oh, right. Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers called you. And I walked over and showed him the phone. He goes, well, you better take that. <laughs> So I went outside and took the call. And that was when I um, got the call to uh, sing with the Righteous Brothers Band. But the, do you, I got to say this. Though. Yeah. Do you know who originally produced them, the Righteous Brothers? The guy that got them together, the, the original two? If you say the name, I will. Well, it was the guy who was the biggest influence in my early pastoral career, John Wimber, who was really? the head of the was at the head of the vineyard movement for decades. So he, Wimber grew up in Missouri and then moved out to uh, Vegas and was kind of a lounge act, but he was a producer, but he, he got the original two guys together. Really? And That's then when he felt, story. when he came to, when he came to faith in Jesus, he, he literally gave up the band and uh, let 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 them go and became a pastor. So he was became, part. He was not only put it together, but he was part of the group for a while. No, then he, he just put away. it together. He He's was a producer, producer, but he he brought them together. I I was literally after I was a vineyard pastor. I knew John Wimber. He John passed away in ninety seven, but um, but but was the pastor of the Anaheim Vineyard and was the head of the Vineyard Movement for oh. a decade for a couple of decades. And so anyway, but he. I was watching a David Letterman interview with the Righteous Brothers, and David goes, how do you guys get together? And they were like, well, this guy, Johnny Wimber, got us together. He's, he's some big pastor guy now, you know? And like, anyway. That's incredible. Anyway, but yeah. Well, he put, if that's the case, then he's responsible for, I think, I can't remember the stats, but they either have the two or three, all three of the biggest, most played radio hits of all time. I don't think people realize how big the Righteous Brothers were. He, Bill Medley doesn't even realize how big they are sometimes. You know, and like the, you know, think about, you know, when did they first, what would have that been that when they first got together? I don't, it would have been late 50s? Yeah. Early 60s, sometime. maybe? Yeah. Maybe early 60s. 60s, probably. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, you know, think about like reintroducing the Righteous Brothers through Top Gun, you know, a huge movie. And then, you know, it's just, they've, they're it's iconic. Amazing. Yeah. Their hits just keep living. And their stuff is so worldwide. When, when you would do like, when I would do shows with Bill, it didn't matter where you were. As soon as the music started, the electricity in the room just went crazy. 
I people mean, sing in every word. Oh, every single word. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he, at some points he would even just say, I don't sing. <laughs> and we'd all shut up and just let the crowd sing the song. That's know? awesome. Yeah. And he's a really neat guy. Bobby was a great guy too. I, I had, I was fortunate enough to know both of them before Bobby mm-hmm. passed away. And that's why I had a job mm-hmm. because Bobby passed away. Yeah. But yeah, that was great. But, but that might've been the, uh, the coolest phone call of all because yeah. the way Bill put it to me on the phone call, because I'd known Bill for years. He used to come see my show in Reno. And that big, deep voice of his, he went, Hey, Darren, okay, it's Medley. Uh, I need you to come sing with me. All right. Or what are you doing? So well, I'm on this TV show right now. He goes, Well, pack that up. I need you to come sing with me. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, Bill. Yeah, sure. He goes, But here's the thing. And now he said this like this was a bad thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really work you because you're going to come out the first half of the show. You're going to be the lead singer of Paul Revere and the Raiders. Then I'm going to change your clothes and then you're going to come out and sing with me. So you got to do both shows. And I'm thinking to myself, He's saying this like this is a bad thing. I just landed two national gigs in one phone call. And what what was the Paul Revere connection that he had? Just they were doing a show together in. Uh, they'd known each other their whole careers. Okay, but they were doing a show together in uh, Branson at the uh, American Bandstand Theater. Uh, he had taken over the theater, mm-hmm. and uh, and so what they were doing was they made it. I guess it's called a co bill. Where it was, a, you know, you, you come tonight, see the Raiders and the Righteous Brothers okay. at Bill Medley at so-and-so. So they had so, known each other for a long time. So help our younger audience out one more time. Like, give us a couple of uh, tunes from a, a couple of the Righteous Brother hits and then and then Paul Revere and the Raiders. So this this door literally opened for both of these groups for you <laughs> at the same time. With one phone with call. one phone call, yeah. And, and, and he said, and I'll never forget this part. He goes, now, I will pay you twice. <laughs> You're doing both jobs. You you get paid for both. And I was like, I love this guy. So, uh, but for the younger people, they'll know the Righteous Brothers from um, Unchained Melody, which is the biggest movie song of all time. You got to give them a. Oh, my love, my darling, I've hungered for your touch. Awesome. They got to know that one, I'm sure. Of course. And then, um, of course, Loving Feeling. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your li- You lost that love and feeling. <laughs> that's the one that's in every movie right. known to man. Right. And is that the one they did in Top, Top Gun? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely. the one, right? Yeah, they're singing in the bar, remember? Yeah. <laughs> Tom Cruise singing the, the Righteous <laughs> And then for the Raiders, now, that well, here's what's funny about this combination, though. The younger people probably will only know Indian reservation of the Raiders because Tim McGraw did it. You know, Cherokee people, Cherokee tribe. The younger people might know that song. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, there was kicks. There was good I thing. I didn't know Tim McGraw did that. He sure did. As a matter of oh. fact, it was uh, huh. one of the funniest moments I ever had was standing in the autograph line after the show because the Raiders up until Paul died, we were still really busy. That's why I never saw you. Right. I was on the road all the time. Yeah. And, um, but I'll never forget this young kid walks up and looked at Paul Revere. You know, this is Paul Revere's big 1971 number one hit. Mm-hmm. He looked at Paul Revere and he was this young kid, really cute young kid. He looked at Paul Revere and he goes, Hey, I didn't know your music, but you did a good job on that Tim McGraw song. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Paul was going to die laughing. <laughs> At first, I wondered, oh, how's he going to react to that? But then he, Paul has this laugh. <laughs> Paul was a character. Funny. Oh, man. But yeah, so I landed both both gigs with one phone call. I was a blessed was day. 08? I think it was 08. 08? Yeah. Okay. Man. 
And that's what, what brought us back to Missouri. Yeah. That's when we came to, and then 09 is when we moved back so that uh, Diane could go to school and I was going to do the show in Branson for a year or two. Mm-hmm. And so it just worked out perfectly. Yeah. That's amazing. That's where our lives intersected. So, so you toured with them for a good, like until Paul got sick, right? I actually stayed for three or four years past his passing. Okay. And, um, we were, we were fairly busy up to the, as soon as Paul died though, 50% of our shows died off as well Mm -hmm. because he was the last original member of the group. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, we kept going and I only left the band a couple of years ago. I just, I made the decision a couple of years ago. You know, the guys in the band, they're, they're great, but they're, they're a lot older than I am. And they're all kind of, it's okay if we don't work, we'll retire. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll just retire. Uh, I unfortunately wasn't part of the original group like they were. And, and so I didn't have a 30 year, you know, um, 20 hit career uh, to, and I wasn't ready to stop working. So I, d- I made the decision one day. I was just like, you know, they're not working enough for me. And, and we started having clashes, uh, schedule clashes. Mm-hmm. It just so happened that some of the shows I'd be offered as a solo act would interfere with the Raider shows. And I tried to work it out so I could do both of them. It doesn't usually work. You know, it's just it's just too much. Okay. So it was just a mutual decision where, guys, I, I want to work. I know you don't. Uh, let's just go our own way. Okay. And that's and and it it, it was a. It was really a good move for everybody involved because mm-hmm. we really were having serious schedule clashes. And you, and you know how yeah. that is. Yeah. yeah so. Well, uh, tell us a little bit. So, I mean, that that kind of catches us up pretty pretty close to where you're at now and as far as the music side goes. But I'd kind of like people to hear just a little bit about some of the movies that you've either acted in or produced. And just, but give us kind of the... A, a quick rundown of, of that, um, if you can, just like mm. a real quick, like. Well, I started in L.A. when we talked about me going to L.A. Mm-hmm. to do the acting thing. And when I did the, the Criminal Minds in the unit, I mm-hmm. was I was basically a day player at that time. I was just trying to get any job I could as a supporting actor. And I did about 20 television series. I can't even name them all anymore. I, I actually have to look them up on IMDb myself to remember because I was so mm-hmm. busy at the time. Um, and then I, but I always had the desire to produce my own stuff always, uh, since the day I started producing music, I, I thought maybe producing film would be cool too. So I went to school for film and, uh, so a few years into it, I started doing really small things. I started doing pilots and I started doing, um, small productions, independent films and things like that. And along the way I was still acting. So, I mean, I did some movies like, um, I've, it's funny, I've been on, I've been on hundred dollar film sets and I've been on hundred million dollar film sets. Mm-hmm. So, so I've done small independent films where there's been three crew guys and two actors. And then I was in a Will Smith movie one time that I think it was a $150 million film film called Hancock, a superhero movie. Right. I yeah. liked that movie. That was a good movie. That was a fun movie. <laughs> and he's a super guy. And I worked with uh, uh, Shia LaBeouf and, and, and Billy Bob Thornton in a movie one time called Eagle Eye. And um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember that. I, Shia LaBeouf, it was about a terrorism thing okay. where they were forcing Shia LaBeouf to do some things or they're going to kill his family and this kind right. of thing. And Billy Ray, uh, Billy Bob Thornton was a cop. Okay. I think it was the FBI or something. I can't remember. I like both of those actors. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a good set. They're acting, yeah. I walked into the Spruce Goose hangar in uh, Playa del Rey, California, which is where I lived actually. And um, the Spruce Goose hangars where Howard Hughes built that big Spruce Goose plane. I mean, it's enormous. You, you have to walk into this thing to understand how big it is. It's like a city. Mm. It's so big. They had chair for chair, 
panel for panel recreated the Hall of Congress mm. for this movie. I, I couldn't believe it when I walked in. I thought I was in the Hall of Congress. It looked so real. Mm. And you know, there was hundreds and hundreds of people. You know, they had the senators and the House of Representatives and the, and the president and all the you know, officers in the CIA. I mean, the Secret Service, everybody was there. And um, that was one of my greatest jobs, even though I'm not, you, you don't see me much in it. But I had, the, I had what I think was the greatest job in the world. So because of the martial arts stuff and, and the acting and all the stuff I did, I also had some connections in the stunt world. Well, I got to do a few stunt jobs along the way too. Stunt, they're called stunt actor jobs. They're not just falling mm-hmm. out of a window, but sometimes you're delivering lines. Sometimes you're, get, you're delivering line, getting punched through a wall or whatever. So I'd luck into these, these stunt jobs along mm-hmm. the way. Well, this ended up being the best one I ever had. So for three days, my job in, in uh, Eagle Eye, running up the stairs of the Hall of Congress. And my job was Michelle Monaghan, the lead actress in, in the movie, who's just a sweetheart. My job was running up the stairs, turning around, falling backwards and catching her <laughs> and keeping her from getting hurt. That was oh, my wow. job. And because what happened was we we're all running up the stairs. We hear gunfire. Somebody yells, get down. Everybody goes down. Well, I have to turn and catch Michelle. And she's this really sweet, petite right. girl. And she always, I just remember she always just smelled so good. But I remember her falling and how do I say this delicately? I had to put my palms out to catch her. She would literally run fall. Well, you, the only way you can catch somebody is this. And of course she would land in a provocative. And I felt very strange about it. And the first time she fell, she fell right on him. She goes, hi, I'm Michelle. Don't, don't feel nervous about this. This is how we have to do this. <laughs> I was like, thank you for that. I, 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 I thank you for that. And now that you've said that, I can tell my wife you said that I'm in the clear. <laughs> I don't feel guilty anymore. So that's funny. Awesome. Well, I'm, and then I know, so did you produce, you did a movie called rock and roll or yes. You, and you acted in that. I think Diane acted in that as well. A little she, bit. She Your did. wife, Diane, yeah. she, she, um, she, she was actually pursuing acting for a while. She, okay. she didn't like it. She, she, she gave yeah. up on it cause she just did not like the business. Okay. Too many snakes in the oil. Yeah. But you produced that one, right? I actually rock and roll was, is kind of my, uh, my entrance into the producing and directing okay. um, spot. I wrote it. I then produced it and directed it. I played the starring role in it and then I scored it. I edited it, I colored it, and I did the sound mix. Yeah, and where is that available right now? Right now, it's on. It's been on Amazon for the last couple of years. Okay. And yeah, they can see Rock and Roll the movie on Amazon. It's it's done very well. The last time I looked, it still had a, a four and a half star rating. Okay. And I'll tell you, keeping a good rating on Amazon is almost impossible hmm. because how you know certain people you have so many alternating opinions on things. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody might love something, somebody hates it, but it still has, I think it still has a four and a half star rating, which I'm just overjoyed okay. about, but we're awesome. pulling it down soon. I'm not going to leave it on Amazon much longer. Okay. Uh, we're actually starting our, I'll, I'll tell you about this later, but I'm starting my own network. Okay. Well, before we get into what you're doing now, like your current projects, I wanted to ask you just quickly, um, this, we talk a lot about spirituality, how it relates to everything. And I'm, I'm I'm curious, you know, with your own faith journey, with your own spiritual journey, um, and then the the creativity, the music, the performing, the acting, the writing, all of these things, to me, flow out of a lot of uh, this place of creative energy. I I, don't, I mean, I I'm curious what role your spirituality or your faith journey has played in in your creative journey. Have they overlapped? Are they 
are they different or what how would you view those two worlds your creative world and your spiritual world well for me you know i wasn't raised religious at all uh, when i was a kid you know even though i had religious people in the family you know my mother and i we never went to church or did any of that stuff so i, I learned about uh i was introduced to we'll, we'll call it religion later um, when I first started performing, I really wasn't thinking that they were overlapping. And then as I got older and, and kept performing and then was introduced to, you know, God and Jesus Christ and religion and spirituality, I've always been very spiritual myself. I, I've, I've, I've done research on and read on and, and looked into many different religions and, and philosophies mm -hmm. and things like that through mm -hmm. my, my journey. Um, but one day I just realized I, uh, I realized that it, that it does from, for me, just for me, I believe that every gift we have, all of us comes from our creator. I mean, they're gifts, whether you're a golfer or a musician, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. And, um, it took me a long time to embrace it. It really did. Um, uh, because of the way I was introduced to it, I shunned away from it for a while because when I was finally introduced to Christianity and religion, I was introduced to it from people that threw it in your face uh, 25 times a day. Wow. <laughs> and I was already rebellious anyway. Right. You know, um, and yeah, so, that never worked. <laughs> so I, I pulled back hard. <laughs> I was like, okay, I need to go over there. Yeah. And, um, but then, then when you, as you get a little older and you start realizing and, and I, and I did start, searching my own spiritual place mm -hmm. started praying to God and to Christ and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I started doing that, my heart, uh, it's, it's weird. It's almost like this whole area of you that didn't exist before starts opening up. And, um, you know, it's funny. You mentioned rock and roll, the movie. Uh, I have a really interesting spiritual story that goes along with rock and roll, the movie. I'd been trying to get rock and roll. When I first moved to LA, my goal was to make films. Well, I've been trying, I had written rock and roll 10 years before we made it. And I was trying to get it made for 10 years. I went to film school. I did all these things and tried to make connections. And this is, this is a unabridged absolute story, how this went down. So we were packing to come back here for me to do the righteous brothers Raiders show. We were packing the house, literally packing up and almost packed up. And I was in my recording studio Pulling, I remember I was pulling these two cables out of my keyboard. It's funny how I remember that. But I remember I, I just, just out loud said, you know, God, I thought you brought me out here to make films. I really did. And here I'm going back to a place I'm not even from. <laughs> and I haven't made a film. I've been in some stuff, but I have not made it, really made something that became viable. I said, if you want me to do this, you better let me know quick because we're heading out of town. I am not exaggerating. Then this voice, this inner voice said, you need to call this friend of yours. I, we have a friend, Diane and I have a friend named Cammy, very good friend for a long time. And she's not in the film business. She has nothing to do with the film business. I have no idea why this, this message mm -hmm. came to me while I'm packing my keyboard. I said, so I just, I, my computer was still there. Phones were already packed. I think so I just, you know, I typed a little message. Hey, Cammy, are, are you around? What are you up to these days? I, I said, I'm just curious. She wrote me back and said, hey, it's good to hear from you. I said, I'm just curious. Do you happen to know anybody that's involved with producing films or independent films? She wrote me back and said, I do. I'm working for a guy right now who's not only producing films, but he's looking for films. And 
I had been turned down so many times and so many, two or three times rock and roll was this close to being made and the, and the rug was pulled out from under me. I'd given up. I said, well, I've got this movie. She said, send me a script. So I sent her a script and I, I am not exaggerating. Within a half an hour, she forwarded it to this guy. Within a half an hour, I got an email from her or him. I forget saying, look, I just looked at the beginning of your script. I'd like a meeting. I want to talk to you about this movie. And, uh, I remember, I think that was, what day of the week was that? It was like three days later that we set this meeting up. Well, I walked in the meeting. He said, okay, we read your script. The entire office was laughing for two hours. He goes, what do you need to make this movie? Wow. And so I gave him a dollar amount. And he looked at his attorney and, and they discussed a couple legal things. You know, I'm trying to give you the short version of it. Mm -hmm. He goes, write him a check. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think my movie's getting made. That's awesome. So that, so I said a prayer. It's a pretty spirit, spiritual connection there. It was, it like was a, these intuitive yeah, thoughts that come sometimes. That, yeah. That, or, it was more than intuition though. I, I, yeah. I literally, the message was so loud in my head to contact you, this friend of ours that it was like somebody in my head going, call Cammy. Yeah. I've had some experiences wow. that, that felt that like that. You yeah. Know? And, attributed it to God, you know, and I was like, wow. I don't think there's a question. Yeah. I mean, crazy. in my heart, there's no question where yeah. that message came yeah. from. Yeah. So you see the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you go, oh, I'm not sure God wanted God this movie. Made. This movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's always been my, that's funny. That's always been a thing. You know, I've, I've got you know, because I have such regular music friends and show business friends. And I have such a large you know group of Christian friends that I'm like, you know, sometimes when they ask about my films, I go, well, just before you watch rock and roll, know that it's, it's comedy. It's a, it's, it's an adult based comedy and it's meant to be off the cuff and funny. Yeah. You know, Jesus always hung out with the wrong crowd. That's why they called him friend of sinners. And that wasn't a compliment. Mm -hmm. Like these were the religious people who were like, like you hang out with sinners. You can't be a holy guy, you know? <laughs> exactly. So you're just like Jesus. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I mean, in good me, company. You, you know, you, you, uh, that's, oh, that's uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, Hey, um, let's talk just a little bit about, um, what you're doing now. And then I want you to, uh, we're, we're going to, I want you to do one of your own songs on just for our podcast listeners sure, uh, love before to. we close today, but yeah, give us, give us just a quick, what projects are you working on now? What, what's, what's going on? Well, when we moved back, you know, when we were in California just a year ago, year and a half ago, and we decided to get out of there because things were starting to go crazy there. Um, we were shoved out of California. I, I truly believe in my heart that God reached down. And he said, it's time for you guys to leave. And he put us in vehicles with our stuff and we left. And I really do believe that because we got such strong messages. No, you're leaving here now. I want you, I don't want you here anymore. And I'd never had that feeling before where, where I felt like I was actually being led somewhere else, but I really do believe I was led back here. And it all kind of coincided with, um, You've known a lot of musicians and, and people in the business. You know, we've talked about that before. And it, part of being a musician or a filmmaker or an actor, uh, more, more on the music side, but all of the above is getting ripped off. It just is. There's money that I'm owed from 30 years ago that I still haven't collected. Right now, I'm having to deal with a couple of companies to get paid for songs that have been playing for the last seven to 10 years on the internet that I've never been paid for. 
you know, and there's companies set up to collect for these things. But if you don't go out and physically make it happen, you literally just don't get paid. Mm-hmm. I've got a distributor. I'll say it openly. My, the guy who's been distributing my film, uh, rock and roll, I've got two or three, but this one, um, on Amazon, I'm dealing with him because I've known for the last few years, look, I should be getting checks, especially now in a pandemic. All, everybody's staying home watching TV. Mm-hmm. No checks coming in. So I had to start fighting. I finally just gave up. I said, you know what? I know enough about this business. I've been doing it my whole life. I'm pulling everything away from these people on faith. I'm going out on my own. So I, st- I am starting my own label, my own record label, which is primarily for my stuff, uh, my daughter's stuff. And mm-hmm. I've got some other friends who want to be on the label as well. Mm-hmm. But we're starting our own distribution channel for the music. And, and when I came here, I came here with the intention. I said, you know, when I go to Kansas City, because I've always loved Kansas City. I really do. I love the backdrop. I love the way it's a small town with big city stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I said, I want to produce there because the backdrop is so new and unique for me because I'm so used to everything looking like LA, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, a, a, you've seen that backdrop a million times. Plus I, I happen to know you have a lot of talent in Kansas city. I, some of your theatrical talent here is amazing. Some of the people I've met and seen perform in mm-hmm. Kansas city, they're just great. Yeah. So I just decided, I said, you know what I want to do? I want to produce stuff in Kansas city. And so Rather than going to all that expense and hard work and then getting ripped off again, I just decided as well, because I don't agree with some of the things that are going on with like Netflix and things like that. I said, I'm just going to start my own network. So we're actually building our own, uh, what's the word they use? I forget the word for it. Uh, not pay-per-view, but uh, subscription pay-per-view uh, network where I'm going to start putting um, stuff from comedians, musicians, concerts, mm-hmm. uh, independent films. Uh, anything I can find locally produced, I'd like to get on there just too as well. But we're mm-hmm. actually starting our own network. We we finally named it. The uh, it's called Omniversal uh, Television, and um, it, I think we're going to blend that to Omniversal Pictures. And um, so yeah, so from now on, when I produce stuff, we're actually going to put it out on our own network, and we're we're going to start building our network up from the very bottom, just like Netflix did. Awesome. So if there is a parallel universe out there, it'll show there as well, right? Omniverse. Let's hope so. <laughs> Let's hope it does. Yes. <laughs> we want to encompass those, everything. Those doppelgangers out there. And they're, yeah. Anyway. All right. Very cool. So I know you've been a songwriter since you were a young, young person, you know, growing up in Florida and your daughter is writing as well. And she's picked up this musical she's, gift of yours. It seems like she's going to be much better than I, I've been impressed with her since she was very young. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, I'd love for you to do one of your songs for us uh, on our podcast studio. All right, let's do it. All righty. All right, here we are. Darren Daller is going to perform one of his own songs, The Wrong Side of the Track. Yes, sir. This is a song uh, that I wrote. uh, I don't want to say the year because I'll show how old I am. But I wrote this for Travis Tritt originally. And it was a song that uh, my publisher was going to shop to Travis Tritt because it really kind of fits him. It fits his whole mold. I liked the song so much. I said, you know, I, I kind of want to do this song myself. So I ref- I didn't allow them to shop the song because I, at that time, had written my first film called Feud. This was going to be the theme song for that movie. Okay. That movie, as Hollywood goes, did not get made. And so many years went by. And so I finally recorded this song last year as part of my New Directions album. But uh, my first project in Kansas City is a, uh, it's a story about a bounty hunter, real roughneck guy. And this song, Wrong Side of the Tracks, is now going to be the theme song for the series. It goes a little something like this. Awesome. 
eyes on the wrong side of the bed Had a funny feeling running through my head I had a crazy feeling, girl This was not gonna be my day troubled man had my find my fame and fortune each and every way I can the boss man tries to put me down no matter what I do or say Present the big crowd out there listening. All right, that's that's what awesome. I normally get. So, <laughs> oh, that's a great song for a bounty hunter uh, lead in. Like that'll be it's going to be of kind the, of the, it'll be the lead in song. And it'll also be it'll be this kind of the theme throughout. Right. Be little tiny pieces like of the it. song with scene changes and things like that. Love it. Very cool. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining in with Spirituality Adventures, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Have a great day. Thanks again for tuning in. Remember to visit our support page at www.spiritualityadventures.com. If you like what you heard, be sure to share it and leave a comment. Thanks again. Have a great day. Harvey Media Production.